Because the thing is, is we can believe that we do it because we're just like that. We all have our own set of stuff. And I realize that in this world, there's differing levels of severity, but from God's vantage point, the murderer and the impure of heart are both in the need of the grace of God. So no matter how horrendous what you've done is, there is grace. When you think of the word confession in the context of sinfulness, it's most likely that you think of confessing to a pastor or priest. Today, Pastor Daniel will ask us to consider confession as it's presented in this part of Leviticus, the idea of confessing to one another as believers in Jesus. We'll hear a personal story of how sharing our own struggles with sin can lead to real change through support, prayer, and comfort. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, The Trespass Offering. a pastor from California who's been tracking with us through Leviticus. He's like, man, you're doing the longest series on Leviticus I've ever seen. Most pastors, they're going to teach the book of Leviticus. You do it in about five messages. You know, like literally you do like seven, seven chapters in a clip. Now you guys know me well enough to know that that's just not possible with me. So me trying to do seven chapters, we'd literally be here forever. So we're here in chapter five. Now, we only have this message and then our next message that will complete this first series in the book of Leviticus. Chapters one of seven, we broke off. We're calling it sacrifice because the focus is on these five sacrifices, five very specific ones. So we, we saw, of course, the burn offering, and then we saw the peace offering, we saw the grain offering, we saw the sin offering, and tonight we get the fifth offering, which is the trespass or the guilt offering. Now, It's important to always put it in context because people always want to say, well, listen, if we believe in Jesus and if we believe that he died on a cross for our sins, if he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then why in the world are we studying this? And the reason we're studying this is twofold. One is because Jesus said that heaven and earth will not pass away until every single jot and tittle of the law is fulfilled. Now, we don't realize that jot and tittle, that's an old way of saying the yod, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. It looks like an apostrophe. It's the Y, a yod. And then a tittle is just a stroke. It's the difference between a capital P and a capital R. What's the difference between those two? One stroke of a letter. One little And Jesus literally said that every single stroke of every single letter is going to be fulfilled before heaven and earth passes away. So that's the first thing. So Jesus had a very high view of the law. So that's the first reason we said Second is because Jesus is the fulfillment of all these sacrifices. These were foreshadowings, forerunners, preparing the people's hearts. Now, you guys, has anybody here run a marathon? Nobody just goes out and runs a marathon, right? You train for that, right? What happens if you go out and just run a marathon without training? You get injured, right? That's right. Or you die, fall over, just doesn't go good. Right? So you train for it. In a lot of ways, God's 
The Levitical sacrifices, in a, in a sense, are like the, the training. The children of Israel realize that in order for them to have a right relationship with God, in order for forgiveness to be offered, there needs to be a substitutionary death. And so that when Jesus comes, when they start saying, oh, there's, when John the Baptist says, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they have a 1,500-year backstory of lambs being sacrificed to atone for sin. That means we don't have that same context in, 20, in the 21st century West, so we don't necessarily make the connection. But for Jesus and for the disciples and ultimately for Paul, this was a huge thing because you, we can't really understand God's gift of grace to us in Jesus without understanding the background from which it comes. So the children of Israel, right as they're delivered from Egyptian bondage, are given all of these sacrifices that become part of their daily lives, their, their religious life, their civil life, that every single day they're being reminded that there is a holy God and that every time that they fail to live up to those standards, an offering is made in order to continue a relationship. Now, someone is bound to say at this point, they're bound to say, you know, okay, that's all fine, but you're like, I just don't get why, why do these animals have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? And as I was at the middle school, at Cornerstone Middle School, talking to the middle schoolers, and I was talking to them about the idea that when somebody is offended in a relationship, forgiveness always costs somebody something. In order for two groups or two people who are at odds with one another because something that someone has done, in order for there to be a reconciliation, it always costs somebody something. I usually use the example of running over your mailbox, but I have a new example. So now imagine you're out at a restaurant and you're having your favorite meal because I never come up with food references ever. It's a new thing I'm trying to talk about food. Right, now imagine you're out at a restaurant, it's your favorite meal. Imagine your favorite meal, right? And then Pastor Daniel shows up. And you say, Pastor Daniel, this is my favorite meal. And I just grab your fork, I just dig right in and start eating it. Can you imagine me doing that? Absolutely, right? Now, I know you guys are good Christian folks, so you'd offer it first. You want a bite? Sure! You know, I'm that one guy. Right, if I just start eating your meal, and like literally, like you're just talking, I'm just eating the whole thing. That might be offensive to somebody, right? You might say, well, come, you know, Pastor Dan, I thought you were supposed to be a pastor. I was supposed to be a good Christian man. You're not supposed to act that way. Now, if you, if you feel that way, then in order to reconcile with you, I should probably buy you the same meal again, right? Maybe some dessert on top of it, because that's the kind of guy I am, right? So in order for, I've broken the relationship based on my actions. In order to put our relationship back together, I need to pay to fix it. Or maybe you're just a good Christian person. You're like, oh, Pastor Daniel, you know, he's just silly. So no worries, Pastor D. And you buy yourself another one. Then it costs you for forgiveness. See, either way, when there's an offense between two people, it always costs to bring them back together. And what's interesting is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is saying, look, the cost to put us back together is too great. So I'm going to pay for it because you could never afford it. You could never do it. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he died. And that's the foundation for all of these sacrifices. And they all have slightly different nuances and meanings. 
But each sacrifice finds its fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Each one. So now, Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1, look at what it says. If a person sins in hearing the utterance of an oath and is witness whether he has seen or known of the matter, if he does not tell it, he bears guilt. If a person touches any unclean thing, whether it is a carcass of an unclean beast or the carcass of an unclean livestock or the carcass of an unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall be unclean and guilty. Or, verse 3, if he touches human uncleanness, whether uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty. Verse 4, and if a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips, to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. Now, this chapter begins with a series of examples, a series of examples of ways that people can become offensive to God. Now, notice in verse 1, if a person hears an utterance of an oath and is a witness to it, if he does not tell the matter, then he's guilty. So what that means is that if you know about something that's going on, you become complicit to it if you do not bring something out into the open. And, and specifically, it's speaking of a court of law. So it's like if you have information in a court case and you don't bring that information, then you're guilty of what you could call a sin of omission. You knew what was right and you chose to withhold information. I think our modern court of law, they would call that obstruction of justice. You know what happened, you're just not talking about it. Now what's interesting about this is that we live in a culture primarily individualistic, so we hold people accountable for their own, um, their own stuff, but in the way God designed the children of Israel civilly, the whole population was responsible for justice happening. And I think as the people of God, we wanna be that way. We should not feel comfortable standing idly by while lies are being perpetrated if we know the, the truth. Because what happens is, is that we become complicit in the midst of it by not bringing it out into the open. So this is, notice, he bears guilt or he bears his iniquity. So if a person knows something in a court of law and withholds that information, that's a problem. Verse two or three, if anyone touches any unclean thing, whether it is a carcass of an unclean beast, beast, the carcass of unclean livestock, or the carcass of unclean creeping things, and he is unaware of it, he shall be unclean and guilty. And if he touches human uncleanness, whether whatever uncleanness with which a man may be defiled, and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, he shall be guilty. Now, the second offense involves contact with either unclean animals or unclean persons. Now, we're going to get to this a little bit later in the book of Leviticus, specifically it kicks up in Leviticus chapter 11. So we'll get to that in more detail when we get there. But the idea is, is that there are ways that we could be, or that a child of Israel could become ceremonially unclean by having contact with different animals or, or anytime anyone's in contact with blood or any sort of human um, secretion, it ends up becoming a, an issue of uncleanness. Now what's interesting here, notice, if they touch it, they become unclean, and then an offering needs to be made. Or if they don't even realize it, when they realize it, then they have to atone for it. So again, we've talked about this before, about when someone sins unintentionally, 
I made the point that even though we may not realize that what we did is wrong, it's still wrong. So, you, you know, we live in a culture where it's like, oh, I didn't know, so I'm really not responsible for it. In God's economy, even if you didn't know and it's wrong, it's still wrong. Okay? So our awareness or lack of awareness doesn't have anything to do with if we're responsible for it or not. Now, I don't know about you, but when I say things like that as a pastor, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. Because what it means is that God holds me accountable for the things that I do wrong that I don't even realize that I do wrong. And that shows even more why we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus. Because not only are we all pretty decently aware of all the things that we do that are wrong, but we don't even realize, we don't know what we don't know in regards to what we do wrong. And that's even more why the finished work of Jesus is so important for us. Because things that we didn't even realize we did, God still holds us accountable for them. And thank God for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, just for a moment, imagine all the things that you know you've done wrong. I don't want to take too much time. It's kind of scary, right? Now, imagine all the things that you could have potentially did wrong that you never even realized. That's an infinite. That's in, like everything, maybe? In my case, like just the whole thing's wrong. But God holds us still accountable for it. You notice when somebody touches something unclean, when they realize it, then they realize, hey, I've offended God. I have become ceremonially unclean. I need reconciliation because I have been tainted. Pretty simple. We'll get to it more a little bit later. Look at verse 4. If a person swears, speaking thoughtlessly with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatever it is that a man may pronounce by an oath and he is unaware of it, when he realizes it, then he shall be guilty in any of these matters. Now, this talks about the things that we say, the words of our mouth. We have to be careful. Notice, when somebody swears an oath, whether it's evil or good, when someone speaks thoughtlessly, we have to be careful. We know that the Bible says that in a multitude of words, sin is not absent. For those of you who, like me, who are talkers, when you read this, you realize that we have to be careful of the things that we say and the implication of the things that we say. And so here we have, once again, that God's standard is very, very high. God's standard is very, very high. So we have to be careful whether, in any of these ways, whether we're, we're not being a good witness to what we know to be true, some sort of uncleanness now for swearing oaths, it's a problem. Now, we pick up in verse 5, look at what it says. And it shall be, it shall be when he is guilty in any of these matters that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. And he shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord for his sin, which he committed a female from the flock, a lamb or kid of the goats, as a sin offering, so the priest shall make atonement for him concerning his sin. Now, you see what happens here. What makes this unique is that now, not only is an offering offered, but now there needs to be confession. That part of this sacrifice is an actual verbalizing of this is what I have done wrong. Now, that word confession, as it plays itself out in the New Testament, it literally means to say the same thing as. So when you think of confession, confession is to say the same thing as God about what we've done. It's kind of a fascinating thought, right? Because when you think about confession, 
depending on how you grew up, sometimes you think, I need to go and confess to a priest or to this person or that person. The Bible says we should confess our sins to who? To one another. And that we should pray for one another. So confession does not, like, don't feel like, like if you come to me and you confess it that I have, like, some special, you know, uh, DSL line to the Almighty that I can work everything out for you. We confess to one another. And the reason we confess to one another is because we're agreeing with God that what we have done is wrong and that we are seeking to make it right. Now, the reason I think confession is so powerful and so radically scary is because once you vocalize out loud what you're doing, once you drag it into the light, then you have to deal with it. When somebody knows about it, now all of a sudden it's on the table. And if that person who you're sharing with is loves the Lord and loves you and is a safe person, they're going to start to hold you accountable. Now, I'm going to just open up my past for you by way, I'll use my own mistakes as a teaching moment for you. I remember when I first got saved, I had a very long background with, with partying and drugs. And when I got saved, I didn't get saved in a church. And so I still had that background. And I remember when I started going to church and God started working in my life, I remember I went to this pastor and I said, you know, hey, Pastor, I love Jesus. He's like, yeah, I know you do. God's doing a great work in your life. I'm like, but listen, every single day for the last 10 years, I've done drugs. And I'm going to leave church right now, and I'm going to go do some drugs. But I know it's breaking God's heart, and I hate it. And I, and I didn't know what was going to happen. I figured, you know, if I was that pastor, I'd just excommunicate me, you know. Because, I, you know, you just don't, well, what do you say then? And that pastor, I'll never forget it. He said, he said Daniel, thank you for sharing. I'm going to be praying for you. Do you mind if I check in on you on it? And my advice to you is to read Romans 6, 7, and 8 and ask God to change your heart. He said, can I pray for you? And he just put his hand on my shoulder. He said, Lord, change Daniel's heart. Thank you for the grace of Jesus that's forgiven him of all these mistakes. I was blown away. But you know what started happening? Because I vocalized out what I was struggling with, all of a sudden he starts praying for me. And because I know the pastor's praying for me or someone's praying for me, and then he would see me, like, how are you doing with that? Something started happening because now I dragged it into the light. Now it wasn't some secret sin that nobody knew about. Now it's out in the open. I agreed with God in public that what I was doing was wrong. And because I dragged it into the light, now there's no more, it has no more power over you. Because you brought it out into the open. And now you have people praying for you. You have people saying, man, how you doing? People, they see you're messing around. They're like, hey, I know what you're doing. You rebel. Godly people do that to you. So it's interesting that this, this offering is accompanied by just agreeing with God that what I'm doing is wrong. And I want to tell you, I love what God is doing here at Crossroads because this is a hospital. And, and this is the kind of place you can drag your stuff out into the light and no one's going like to get like the, like, like the gasp space because we're all jacked up, messed up here, forgiven by the grace of God. There's nobody here who's got it all dialed in. It's and I should say, if someone does give you the gas face, you know how to pray for them, too. You, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like we're all broken being remade by God. We've made a million mistakes, but God is doing a work us. So I want you to feel free to find people and say, look, I'm just struggling. Because the people around you are not going to be like, oh, I can't believe you do that. Because the thing is, is we can believe that we do it because we're just like that. We all have our own set of stuff. And I realize that in this world, there's differing levels of severity, but from God's vantage point, the murderer and the impure of heart are both in the need of the grace of God. So no matter how horrendous what you've done is, 
There is grace. And this is the kind of place you can just drag it into the light. And I'll be honest, as, as one of the pastors here, it's beautiful to watch people drag their garbage into the light, start to deal with it. We realize that when you drag your stuff into the light, it's not like neat and tidy and it goes away like spick and span. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. Some days are good, some days are bad, some days are up, some days are down, but God's grace is sufficient and his mercy is new every morning. So be okay to drag your garbage into the light and do it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let them walk with you through those struggles. You know what happens when you give God room through other people to walk through your struggles? You make lifelong friends. That's what happens. True spiritual friendships. Some of you in here, I know your lives intersected and you walk through stuff together and those relationships are solid as a rock, right? Because you've had these experiences together. You've walked through things together. You've seen each other at your most vulnerable moments. And there's something so powerful about relationships that are not built on, this is my mask that I'm wearing so everyone thinks I have it together. But when it's really built on, look, I'm broken and you're broken and we're gonna walk with Jesus broken together all of us with our Jacob limps. So be unashamed to confess, to agree with God that you're in process. Because listen, if you're here today, you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that's why you put your faith and trust in him. Because we're agreeing with God that I can't do it on my own. And it's not offensive to God what we are. God still loves us and he sent Jesus to die for us. Don't think for one second that God wasn't completely aware of who and what you are when he sent Jesus to die. Does that make sense? So I say, God's offended by the sin, but he grabs hold of our lives in Christ. That's the beauty of God's holiness. He hates our rebellion, but he loves us even greater to draw us to himself in Jesus. So like the trespass, we need to learn how to have a healthy confession, just agree with God. I am not, God's not finished with me yet. God's not done with me yet. And give each other the room to be in process. Because guess what? Everyone's in process. And what's funny is those of you who walk with Jesus the longest, you realize how big and how much more of the process you have to do, right? So you, those people who walk with Jesus the longest, like, man, God, it's, oh, I think it was John Steinbeck who said that getting into someone's heart, it's like peeling an onion. There's always another layer, and it always comes with tears, and no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you get through one thing, and all of a sudden there's this next big thing, and you're like, man, I thought we were done with that. And the Lord's like, no, man, we haven't even gotten started yet. Because you got rid of that thing, now there's this whole other level that God wants to work on. So like the trespass of it, be okay to confess to one another and pray for one another. Now, if someone comes and confesses to you, just love them. Don't, you don't need the answers. You're not, your job's not to fix them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to encourage them on to be their cheerleaders in life. Sometimes they say, hey, listen, stop messing around. You're being a knucklehead. You, you can do that in love too. But our job is not to fix people. Our job is to commit people into the hand of the great physician who fixes people. You make sense? So, so this trespass of it, it's accompanied by a confession, a verbalizing of this is what I've done to need this offering to be done on my behalf. Jesus is real. Today, Pastor Daniel explained how life-changing it can be to reach out to other believers and vocalize your issues with sin. Once your sins are brought out into the open, people can support you through prayer and accountability. 
We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as we will hear about different ways a person can trespass against another and the proper response to it. Then and now, there are ways to make it right. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Jesus is Real Radio.